Welcome to Growth Over Easy, the podcast where we explore the depths of life with an optimistic lens. I'm your host, Lily Rachels, and I believe pain has the potential to produce more growth than happiness ever could. I teach you how to grow through grief and give you actionable tools you can start using today. It's time to choose growth over the easy path in life. Let's grow together. Welcome back to Growth Over Easy and Happy New Year. In 2023, we will be going to one episode a week, alternating between solo episodes with yours truly and guest episodes. With building my coaching practice, I've realized that the time it takes to produce two podcast episodes a week is just not feasible right now, and I'm trying to be very dedicated and intentional with my time this year, so we'll be doing one episode coming out on Monday. With that said, today you're in for a treat. This is a guest episode with January Donovan. The Woman's School is all about equipping women with the skills they need to live a fulfilling life. She shares with us her personal story, what got her into personal development in the first place, why she took her own personal development and turned it into a career to serve other women, and the importance of designing your life. I was lit up after doing this interview because I got so much from it, and I know you will too. For January's full bio, please look in the show notes as well as all the links to connect with her. Let's get into this episode. Welcome back to Growth Over Easy. Today, I'm joined by January Donovan. Hi, January. Hi, Lily. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. I'm really excited to get into Woman School, your company. And first, I would love for you to paint a picture for the audience of what your life looked like before personal growth, before you got into this industry, before the Woman School. Who was January? Oh, gosh. I'd have to go back to, I would say, really kind of like my high school years, which is, you know, obviously our our growth is sort of since the very beginning, but that's where I think I experienced a lot of anxiety, a lot of self-doubt. I would say my understanding of my need for growth, I felt like, gosh, it was just sort of this idea that life was just stressful and anxious and that's the way it is. Like, I just felt stuck was the right word. Like, I didn't know how to make decisions. I didn't know how to say no. I didn't know how to find quality friends. I didn't even know how to sort of talk to myself. And the way I talked to myself was unkind. And so it reflected, I think it grew my insecurity. I think that's probably the right word. I was insecure. I felt like I looked at other women and wish I was them. And I felt threatened by them. And I just felt like, there was nothing I could do to change my life. And I think the burden with that is that you feel like this is it. This is as good as it gets. So to me, before the woman's school, the burden to me, I would say the biggest burden was that I will spend my the rest of my life sort of feeling like this kind of burden that I couldn't explain, but that this is the way life is. Life is supposed to be hard, which is what you hear all the time. And that the things I love were basically you know, to to travel or a beautiful relationship or the things that I dream about were just sort of kind of like unrealistic. And I think there's a little bit of a hopelessness that kind of sat into my heart thinking, well, it doesn't matter if I like it or not. It's never going to be mine. And I think that it sounds so insignificant, but I think it compounds in burden because we just feel like our life can never be the way we envision it to be. And I think 
that's when we start to die. Mm. I feel that the way you describe that, especially the idea that what I want is just unrealistic. It couldn't happen to me. But I also really want to tap into what you said about the way you spoke to yourself and how unkind, because that hits me hard. Because when I look back at myself, and I would say when I was in college, and the inner dialogue, and sometimes the things I would say out loud about myself, Mm -hmm. which for me, it wasn't focused so much on the exterior. It was more like the interior, like, oh, you're so dumb. How could you not do that? And just berating myself. So I'd love to hear you tap a little more into that. Yeah, um, I think it's a very um, delicate topic because we say a lot of things to ourselves that nobody can hold us accountable because it's underneath our breath and it's in our thoughts. So there's literally an interior war that I feel like it's happening in women and you would never know. We could look in the party and look nice and have a nice, you know, drink and conversation. But then we go home and we're like, why did I do that? I can't believe you're awful. And it's nobody can hold us accountable because it's all interior. But what happens is that we show up with self-doubt, we carry that. And I feel like so many women today, that has become the norm. And when they say it out loud, it's even being reinforced. Even if you say it to your closest friends, like, oh, I was just so S-T-E-P-I-D. I mean, that was, we ruminate all the things that we did wrong. And then we go to our conversation and then they reaffirm it because that's also how they talk to themselves. So what is the norm is that we berate ourselves and there is nothing wrong with that. I remember one of my homework was to literally say, Lily, be kind to Janny. Be kind to Janny. That was sort of a script I had to use, you know, in my 20s, early 20s, because even though I knew it in my head to not speak ill of other people, you know, to make sure that you are kind to the people, you complimented the people, for some reason, it wasn't translating to how I spoke about myself. You know, it, it was sort of like, do you treat people the way you treat yourself? It was like that level of accountability. Like I felt like my mentor was saying, you treat other people better than the way you actually treat yourself. And it wasn't something that I was thinking about. It was just the norm. And the danger was that I just felt small. I felt awful. I felt insignificant. And it was all happening interiorly. I was sort of like, you're getting eaten inside. Oh, yes. I feel that the way you're describing that. And it is very true. Like we will say again, the most horrible things that we would never say out loud to another person. Yes. yes. And then even those comments that we'll make, you know, around a girlfriend that, you know, you'll just accept that your friends say we just, it's like, we get really loose with our language about ourselves. It's kind of that self-deprecation, but we don't realize that what we're speaking is hurting us. Yes. Yes. Words become flesh. So what we say, actually, we, we basically become it and, you know, interiorize it. And the problem is that it's normalized. You know, I'm so fat. Oh my gosh, I can never lose weight. I'm just awful. Or oh, I cannot believe and nobody's ever going to like me. Of course they hate what I say. I mean, just a lack of kindness that, and I think what I see is that it can only go for so long until we can't go anymore. It's an unsustainable way to treat ourselves. It's just like if you had a friend, if you were my friend, and I treated you that way, eventually you won't be my friend. And I think so we kind of numb parts of ourselves and then we start hating ourselves. We start really having this interior war because we can't continue to speak to ourselves that way without us actually just be an interior battle that's causing all this havoc in our life. It's just not, it's an unsustainable relationship. What pushed you towards change? If this was, you said you're kind of describing where you were in your teen years or early college, what was that catalyst for change for you? Because I just thought this was the way life was. Two things. I think 
role models of a life that I didn't think was possible. Like I remember meeting a couple who was so in love after three kids. I was like, that's not possible. Like there's no, like, I just never, that's not real because that's never was my experience. But, you know, when I put it in my reticular activator, that part of our brain that helps us expand what we focus on, I started to sort of see it. So role models changed me by giving me hope that maybe there's another way. So that's number one, whether it was a beautiful friendship, whether it was a beautiful relationship, whether it was a career. The second thing that I think is the biggest catalyst was my mentor in college, Elena. And I talk about her because I was at the bottom of the barrel and, you know, I I met her my freshman year and she met with all the college students. It was sort of like, you know, she was sort of, I don't know if she was a college mentor, but she, in my first month in school, she met with all the women. I was one of them. And I went in there and she said, Jenny, what kind of woman do you want to be? And I remember kind of like laughing, like, okay, you don't have a choice, you know? And she said, well, yes, you do. Let's design you. And so I met with her for three and a half years, every single month, almost every single month, except for obviously summers. And she would give me homework. I would hand in my homework. She would hold me accountable and then give me my next homework. So she would say, okay, what kind of woman do you want to be? My first homework was to get rid of comparison and competition, make my bed and do meditation and quiet time and planning and prayer first thing in the morning. That was my homework. And I did it. And I think because I was so lost that I was like, she would say, here's five, I'll do 10. That changed my life was the accountability of somebody that helped me build the skills I needed to actually get out of my rut. Because now, you know, 20 plus years of doing this, what I am really seeing, Lily, is we are so skill deprived. Skill of learning how to talk to ourselves skill of holding ourselves accountable, skill of knowing to actually have healthy conversations, skill of knowing how to plan our day. And so we suffer unnecessarily simply because we're underskilled and life has become overwhelming because we're underskilled. And so I tell women that changed my life. My mentor trained me. And the difference between knowing and training is a big difference. It's like, I can know about boundaries, but never know actually how to execute boundaries because we need conditioning, just like you go to the gym, you know, you can be like, oh, I know how to, you know, do the pull-ups, but you have to actually go there on a consistent basis every two days and build your muscle. It's the same thing with boundaries. I'm still learning, you know, my boundary muscle in the different parts of my life. So I, I really believe in skill conditioning, skill training, because I think that life has become so hard for us because we're just simply under trained. I mean, think about it. What if somebody trained you at five years old, eight years old, 10 years old, and how to talk to yourself? I mean, just think about that. You know, like in my in my house, right? I have eight children. There's illegal words that they cannot use in the same sentence with themselves. I train them to do that because I had to suffer that. So I'm hypersensitive to it. And I train them. I say, you know, you don't use that same word. I am X, Y, and Z. But I'm aware of it. How many mothers or women out there that are unaware of it that cannot actually give that to their children? And instead of saying, no, instead of saying, I'm so S-T-E-P-I-D, let me say, I've just got a lot to learn. Instead of learning to talk to herself and, you know, I said the wrong thing, mom, I can't believe I did that was awful. It's like, no, you need a new script. So imagine if we trained ourselves with the right script so that we can learn the right skills. Can you imagine how much more, you know, I would say peaceful and less stressful our lives would be if we just were given the how? Yes, I completely agree with you. And what you said about the training and conditioning, it's, you know, we're going to get conditioning regardless, but it's that intentional training and conditioning, choosing that instead. And I think it's so powerful that you had that mentor, especially at such a young age. 
But I want to go back to that question she asked you, what kind of woman do you want to be? That is so powerful. <laughs> yes. When she asked you that, was did something pop into your head or were you just like, I don't know? I mean, to be honest, the first thing that I could remember is that I don't think you have a choice. It was sort of a rejection of that statement or I'm sorry, that question because of my belief that you don't actually have a choice. Like this is a life that you've given and these are the cards you dealt with. You don't have a choice. You can't choose your life. It was what I've heard literally in my subconscious conditioning for whatever, 20 years or 18 years. That was my first freshman year in college. Maybe I was 18 or 19. And so that question to me was sort of like, I don't believe what you're saying. But the hope came from the people that I saw of how it was possible that gave me that's like little door of opening like, well, maybe I'll be open. And that's where I think the growth mindset, which is obviously what you're, you know, the podcast is, is that you can never have the life that you want, beauty, meaning without actually growth. Like it's just not, it's like a child who never learns how to walk, crawl. Growth is is really the foundation of how we are going to design a beautiful and meaningful life and without it. And, but here's the thing, Lily, how many women don't know how to grow? It's a skill in itself. It's a compounding skill set. And I don't think we're taught how to grow. And especially when we are kind of have this comparison and competition or we don't know how to talk to ourselves, like we are not trained on how to grow. I really think that there is a massive robbery that's happening in women today because we don't actually know how to grow our mindset or grow our skill set. And we're hurting because of that. Yeah. I feel like even, you know, just a few decades ago, it was a part of like culture. Like you learn things from your mother, your grandmother, yes. and you had strong, healthy women in your life. Yes. And there is such a disconnect from that now. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of lonely society of just, you know, yes. go your own way, figure it out yourself. And we're not designed that way. No, we're not designed that way. And by the way, I expect you to be perfect. If not, I will condemn you. I mean, that is what it is. Perfection without preparation. You know, the infrastructure that we used to have, we had built in mentors with our grandmothers or aunt. There was also sort of a little bit of a proximity. Now, obviously, women are kind of on their own. And so there's a really breakdown of the infrastructure that we need for mentorship and guidance. But I think compounding that, there's sort of this pressure that our culture have built of perfection, of prove yourself, of in a woman's school, we call it the poisonous peas, you know, that you have to prove, you know, your money is based, I mean, your worth is based on your possession, your worth is based on your, what you can produce, your worth is based on your prestige, your popularity, your perfection. And so not only do we not have mentors, we are getting devalued by the false metric of what makes us valuable. It's like literally an outright war against our value as women. And we are on our own. Prove yourself that you're good enough for the job, good enough for the man, good enough for me, for you to be valued when we have a basic human need for belonging. But now belonging has a price tag and we no longer have the mentors that can say, hey, you belong here. You don't need to prove yourself, right? But here's the thing. Now that decades is happening, our parents and our grandparents have become a victim also in that prove yourself model. They're also skill deprived on actually how to make somebody feel valued. That's why we have the midlife crisis. They don't see their value. They feel the need to bring everything external to make them feel validated. And that's why it's like there's a generational war against our worth. And that's kind of what I talk about in the book is that, ah, oh, you know, it used to be that we were growing together, but now we're so separated. And now there's an attack on our value as women, our worth. We're only worthy if and when, right? It's based on all these conditions. Our worth is unconditional. We're valuable simply because we exist. There should be no price tag. It doesn't change. Our value doesn't change with how much money we make. If I'm 50 pounds bigger, smaller, whatever how many friends I have, but 
We subconsciously think we do, and we're conditioned to do it. We are conditioned to do it by social media. And so unless we're hyper aware that this is happening at us, we can't fight a war unless we know we're in one. I like that. We can't fight a war unless we know that we're in one. And the war is from within, Lily. As you worked with this mentor, got out of college, when did you come into doing this work yourself with women? (gasps) Yeah. So I think so much of what I did in college changed the way I view the world and myself to a point that I tasted freedom for the first time, which is a freedom to choose my highest and best self imperfectly. But that's the last of all remaining freedom. And Viktor Frankl talks about the freedom to choose your attitude. And that really, the work in the woman's school is training women in the mindset and skill set to design a life that fulfills them. That's what the woman's school is. And so basically from what Elena gave me, I felt sort of indebted. And I felt like, how could, I can't keep this gift under a bushel. And so I started coaching women in college and you can actually hear all these women now that I see now that they see the woman's school, I would always just sort of train them and take them under my wings. And then it sort of grew to let me build conferences on training women. And then it sort of just, it was just a love that came for out of gratitude for what was given to me. So the mentorship that I've given, I mentored women for free for 15 years through training programs by training them personally, but also in group model. It was just a passion that was based on my own wound. And I would always say in the woman's school, our wounds become our compass towards our contribution. And that what it was for me, my wound of not knowing my value, of feeling worthless, of feeling insecure became the compass to me saying, because of my mentor, I want to be able to give what was given to me. So it was 15 years for free. I kind of really just did it because I was passionate. But what I realized is that my husband is in business and he said, January, do you want to reach thousands or millions of women? And if you want to reach millions then you have to build a business around it. And I didn't have any business experience. It was not something, I, all I had was a heart and a passion to be able to train women. That's what fueled this work. And what I realized is that women don't invest in their freedom. Women don't invest in their growth. Women actually put themselves last. They would rather invest in their friends, you know, nice something, but not on ourselves. And I think it's hurting us because it's an unsustainable model. We can't give what we don't have. And most women right now are giving from an empty cup because they're not growing. And that's why growth is is literally, it's almost like opening the lid of possibilities to me. Like, you know, when we're growing, then we have greater capacity to give to other people. We Growth to me is about receptivity. So that's what the woman's school is, is that we train women to grow so that they can give more of themselves. And now they know they can condition themselves on how to actually even listen to feedback, how to have conversations, some of the skills that are just not taught in our school system. They're not taught in our homes and we're suffering for it. So, you know, even your audience right now, really growth should be, we're either growing or dying. That's what it is. There's really actually no middle ground. And, you know, as Henry Thoreau said, you know, men today live lives of white desperation and we need to bring life in women's life. And the only way we do that is that we train women in how to grow. I just wholeheartedly believe in that. That's beautiful. We're either, and I agree, we're either growing or we're dying. We're either choosing more, we're choosing to stay where we are and slowly, like you said, a life of quiet desperation. We're living by default or by design. And that's what my mentor said is that, do you know how to design your life? Do you know how to design the woman you want to become? And that's what we teach really is that. I tell women, whoever you are right now, and there's parts of you they don't like, you just need to redesign it, kind of like remodeling your kitchen. Yeah, I love that word, design, because 
It, it is. It just implies that I get to have a choice, but it also feels exciting. Like the word design in and of itself, it's like there's something fun and exciting about yeah. redesigning your kitchen versus telling someone you need to change something about you or you need to fix something inside of yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. The words do matter. I always mm-hmm. feel like powerful. the words become the battleground in our mind. So like what you say, you know, like fix something as opposed to design, you get autonomy. It's kind of fun. There's a little bit of like, oh, you know, and so I think it's a, it's a, an important language to introduce to women that they can indeed redesign themselves over and over again. You know, I feel like I designed myself as a mom of four building a business. And I have to redesign myself as a mom of seven. And I think it's the how we just need to know how we need to know how to redesign our self image. We need to know how to design ourselves and then learn the skills so we can achieve that design. And that's where growth happens. But anything is possible if you're willing to do that. Is there a particular concern, problem, struggle that you see in like almost every woman that comes through your program? Oh gosh. Yes. I would say is that they don't know their value, that their worth is conditional. The first thing that we do in the woman's school, before we can train them in any skill set or mindset, they have to own that their value, that their worth is unconditional. Nothing changes your value. That to me is the foundation to how we can actually design our life. But most women don't actually understand their value. So actually give them a scientific evidence of like, listen, imagine yourself in this time in history with your unique DNA. Nobody has your DNA, past, present, and future. You've got trillions of cells. You've got 100 billion neurons in your brain, if not so much more wiring together. And you're in this time in history, the probability of your unique combination with your unique personality, with your unique DNA, with your unique cell and your experience and your wound is impossible. You're unrepeatable. I mean, it's just from a very scientific level, you're a rare combination that can never be repeated. That makes you so valuable because what do we think is valuable in the world? Rarity, right? We think like something that's an endangered species or diamonds or something. Yeah. Yeah. A diamond, a rare gem. And so think about the rarity of who you are. And so to me, that actually, it's like the shackles come out when we give women language for the fact that they've devalued themselves almost all their life. And there's a great chance that they inherited that language and they inherited the way they devalued themselves from the women around them or just culture in general. And we don't know. I mean, think about it. Like if you go look at people's magazine, you wear this outfit, 25% says yes, right? Or 75%. These micro things come into our subconscious mind. Now we start to value ourselves based on clothes. I mean, how hurtful is it to feel like, my value is like, I wear this outfit 25% and you're 70%. Nobody says anything about it. We're like, oh, that's the norm. You just say that outfit is better. I'm like, as though there's no human person in there, as though it's just an outfit. I mean, that's just a small example of all these millions of ways that women are being devalued based on external things. And instead of us honoring the fact that, hey, nobody changes, our, nothing changes our value. Not even I can change the fact that I'm valuable or your value. Like, just because I don't see my worth, that doesn't change my worth, right? Just like if you take that diamond ring and you give it to your two-year-old dog or five-year-old son, they're going to be like, sure, mom, I'll play with it. Just because they don't know it's a 20 carat gold or diamond, it doesn't change the, the value of that diamond. It's still valuable just because nobody sees their value doesn't change that value. And that's what we need to remember is that we have to to create a narrative and conversation of helping women own their value. Because right now, we're either contributing to women's value or contributing to devaluing them. And a lot of it, sometimes we might not know it. And I think we contribute to our own personal devaluing with, like you said, the comparison. Yeah. And 
making assumptions about other people again, like based on clearly like material things and like what we see. Cause I don't know. I mean, I know I've done this in my life where I'll meet someone and I immediately have my assumptions of who this person is based on what I see. And then as most often happens, I get to know them and I'm like, Oh, like you have insecurities just like I do. You're not, you know, you have all these things just like I do. We're all, you know, comparing ourselves constantly to other people. Yeah. And the thing that I tell women is that the same metric that you hold of yourself is probably the same metric that you hold of other people. Mm -hmm. And so if you think that you're valuable when you have a nice purse, then chances are you'll make somebody more valuable in the way you treat them when they have a nice purse. Or if your purse is from Walmart or whatever, and you say, well, I'm kind of feel insecure because my purse from Walmart, then you could possibly not you, but people, women could say, well, they're not as valuable. They have cheap clothes, whatever. I'm just giving an example. It could be that it's money. If we feel like, oh, I'm going to clean my house because a billionaire is going to show up. Oprah is going to show up, right? But do we clean that same house if the janitor shows up, right? Because now we have determined how we should honor them in our house and clean our house and be like, oh, I'm going to make some coffee or some tea based on how much money we think they have. Hmm. And that's a hard, bitter pill to swallow because most people would clean their house and Oprah comes and maybe not the janitor. But the truth is that we can train and retrain ourselves to honor the value of every woman that we see instead of automatically having a knee-jerk reaction of comparison competition. It's just a wiring in our brain. That's what I tell women. I said, it's like a bad habit. Okay, you have a bad habit of eating chips or drinking or whatever. It's a vice. Comparison is a vice. You've trained your mind to do that because nobody showed you how. You can retrain yourself just like a stroke patient can learn how to walk and talk. You can train yourself out of comparison competition. That's what Elena did to me. I'm a walking proof that you can live a life free of comparison. Not that you don't have to, to be vigilant against it because you always have to, but you can absolutely write your brain out of it. What do you think is the main contributor to that comparison and competition that we, that conditioning we get typically pretty early on? Yeah. I think number one, we don't have a dream. So what happens is that we are living in our own tunnel because there's no vision So we look at everyone else who's living their own vision. Number two, we're not intentionally designing our life. So our life is by default and not by design. So we look at the the other people's lives who have the nice homes, nice relationship, nice friendship, whatever they're achieving, because we don't think we can change our life. So we think, well, I'm comparing myself because I have no choice. This is the life I've been given. And number three, we're not personally developing ourselves. So it's it's the three Ds. It's a dream design and development of ourselves that's causing a lot of the comparison and competition. But imagine if you had a dream. And you know, okay, I have a dream to X, Y, and Z. I'm going to be head down because, you know, if I had a dream to write a book, you don't have a choice. You need discipline. You need to focus. You need to get the right training. You're not really worried about what people are doing because you're like, I know where I'm going. It's different from where I was going. And imagine if you were designing your life intentionally. You're like, oh my gosh, I love her home. I want to put that design in my home. I love it. What kind of skills do they need? You know, oh, they're developing themselves. What can I learn from her? Imagine if we were so intentional about that 3D dream design and then developing ourselves. We could rid ourselves of comparison. Why? Because we're intentional about who we are becoming, about the life we're designing and the vision that we have for our life. To me, that's eliminates 95% of the comparison and competition that happens in our brain because the reality is that we're comparing ourselves because there's parts of ourselves that we're not happy about. And instead of going into ourselves and say, I don't like that about myself, which is normal, I can redesign it. We thinking there's no way out. So the next best thing is just compare ourselves. It makes us feel a little bit better or worse about ourselves. And I tell women, get rid of it, design yourself. I love that. Get rid of it and design yourself because, and what you said about having the intention in the vision, like that's huge. Because again, I always tell clients, I'm like, if you don't know where you're going, you're never going to get there. You could get in your car and be like, I'm going to drive. But if you're not like, this is where I'm driving to, (laughs) you're just going to burn gas and 
eventually probably get sick of driving and go, you know, just stop wherever you end up. And having that vision, which I think is powerful about that question, was it Elena asked you in the beginning, which was what kind of woman do you, you want, want to be? To be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what you just said was so powerful. You, you burn gas. I mean, that's kind of synonymous to just overwhelm. You're just mm-hmm. burnt out. Right. And you know what I, I tell women, we need to, dreaming is a skill set that people don't talk about. We're always told to dream, go for your dream. But how do you dream? I wish to teach that in school, you know, and I, I tell women, I said, there's a difference between goal setting and dreaming. They're not the same. And we need to know the distinction because we could be goal setting all our life and not actually go to the place of dreaming, which is a place of inspiration. You know, the difference between goals and dreams, a dream is something that we don't know how to achieve. It requires faith. We've never been there before. It scares us and excites us at the same time. It is in harmony with something that is deep within us where a goal is metric driven. There's a deadline. You know, it's practical. Dreams are impractical. The cell phone was impractical. You know, the Wright brothers who created the airplane was impractical, but it doesn't have to be that grand and big. I think there's a dream for the season. And I tell women, there's not only a dream, there's a dream for the season. You know, for me, the dream for every season is so unique as my seasons grow. Like the dream to be able to, you know, launch the book is different than what the dream is going to be for next year and and the year before. I mean, I think it's to live without a vision is to live with a burden in our heart because that vision is for ours to give birth to. It's that purpose. And if we don't know how to actually give birth to it, because nobody's training us how, then we could carry that burden all our life simply because nobody showed us how. And I think that's where the injustice is, Lily. That's why we need to teach women how to, how we need to give them the skills to do it. Because imagine if you had a dream to build an orphanage and you didn't know how to create a plan. You didn't know how to work through your critics. You didn't know how to draw boundaries. You didn't know how to fail forward. Maybe that orphanage or whatever would still be yours. It's just that you couldn't achieve it if, unless you had the skills to do it. Mm-hmm. Then we convince ourselves out of We're like, oh, it's never for me. A beautiful relationship's never for me. That book was never for me. A successful business is never for me. But maybe it was. Yeah. Yeah. We just need training and we need to grow into it. So, yeah, I'm a firm believer that if it's in your heart and it's coming from that, you know, pure, not a selfish place, but that it is yeah. for you. It's yes. there for a reason. Yeah. You know, we're here for, I believe we're all here for a purpose. Yeah. And I think that's how we discover our purpose, the deepest desires of our heart. So it has to be, you know, it's like, that's why it's like in our heart. And we, and I tell women, I said, we have to listen to our gut, you know, but in order to do that, we need to be quiet long enough and know the skill to ask the right question to even get to that place. Mm-hmm. And women sometimes are afraid of the quiet. They don't know what questions to ask themselves. They don't know how to talk to themselves. These are skills. And that's why I'm passionate about what we do because I think with just a little small tweak and some training, women get unleashed. And I just think that we it's time for us to not just empower women, but equip them with mindset and skill set tools. And I think that's what, we're, what the world is ready for that. That's so important because I empowerment, it's almost like one of those <laughs> almost triggering words now. You're like, okay, how are you empowering people? But I like what you said by equipping them with the training and tools they need to actually then feel and be empowered instead of just, you know, trying to empower them with kind of this fluffy nothing. That's what it is. I think we 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 have to, we just, we want to motivate them and empower them, but we want to make sure that they can build it, not just tell them that they can build it. We need to show them how to build it. It's like, yeah, you can build a house. You can do it. You can do anything you want to, but we don't give them tools. There's no hammer. There's no ax. There's no blueprint. I mean, that empowerment is going to quickly going to be like, so how do I do this? Oh, that empowerment stuff is all good for five minutes. And I really don't actually know how to hammer this. 
I mean, I know that's a sort of silly analogy, but that is actually what happens is that we're told that we can build any house we want to, but we're never shown the skills to actually pick up a hammer. Right? We don't have a toolbox. I feel strongly about that when it comes to relationships, because I believe, you know, most of us, we go into relationships with this blueprint that was given to us by whoever raised us and the relationships we witnessed growing up and what we thought relationships were. And just like not having the tools and being equipped to build the house, so many people enter into, you know, whether it's a long-term partnership or a marriage without the tools to set boundaries, as you mentioned, the tools to communicate, the tools to express their needs. Yeah. And then we're like, ah, relationships are horrible. Marriage is supposed to be bad. Couples are whatever, you know, because you get what the culture of people that lack the skills are reinforcing and they're one advert falsely advertising. When in reality, we we needed to learn those skills of boundaries, accountability, of honoring our word, all these compounding skill set that actually makes us achieve the relationship that we want because we can have it as long as we're willing to grow into it, right? Like the kind of relationship that you want, you need to learn how to treat yourself. You need to learn how to treat your significant someone. Those are skills set. And I just think that we've almost given up on a relationship that it could be good. And the advertising is that relationships are hard. Life without skills is hard. Motherhood is hard. That's the same thing. I mean, I have eight children. It's, it's hard. You can't fulfill your dreams. It's, you know, I mean, that's true if you lack the skills. Is it, are there challenging moments? Yes, but it is absolutely beautiful. And the, the more skills you have, the more seamless it, it becomes. I mean, mm-hmm. there's work, anything. Building your dreams is work, but it doesn't become a burden. Children no longer become a burden. They actually help you build your dream. I mean, you know, in the last three weeks, I was writing this book and literally I I felt like my children walked this journey with me of, of giving birth to this dream because I, for whatever, the, the, the cookie crumble, I had only had three weeks to basically write it. So every day I had to pull in long hours. And they're like, mom, how do you do it? You know, and I would look at them and say, listen, one day I'm going to be the one that's biggest fan for your dream. One day you're going to have to fight for your dreams. And thank you for supporting me and working with me. And so they would check in with me. I have to model for them what it means to work backwards from the dream. Hmm. I have to model for them to say, this is what it means to fall, to fail, to write, spend a whole month writing a book only to come back and be like, you need to rewrite it. And then find the joy in it. Instead of complaining, I get the privilege to walk into that journey. And I got to look him in the eye and say, this is what it means to fight for your purpose. And you fight with joy, you fight with freedom, you nail yourself every day, you discipline yourself, and that gives you life. And I come back and learning how to make sure I've got dinner, that I'm spending time with them. I mean, all that, I get to bear witness to that with them. But how would that happen, Lily, if I, if I didn't develop and continue to develop skills? It would be really challenging if I didn't know how to manage my mind, my emotion, my routine, my boundaries, the way I hold them accountable, discipline them. Life would be really stressful as a mom while I build a business, while I pursue the dreams. My only point is that whether it's motherhood, relationship, business, we all need skill training to achieve the dreams that we have in those specific arenas of our life. January, one of the things I love about you is that so many people will talk about the problem and then they'll talk about a solution, but there's a lot of like empty space in between. <laughs> and I like how like it almost simplified you make it that it's like, you learn the skills. It makes it so accessible to anyone knowing that, because I feel like so many of us are born with this idea that if I'm not good at it, it's not my thing. It's not for me. Even like with the relationships being, you know, people are like, oh, relationships are hard. The flip side of that are people that are like, relationships should be easy. And then they get in there and realize they're just not for me because I'm not good at them. Mm -hmm. And I love how you just break it down like so simply that it's like there are skill sets that 
anyone can learn. These are not like impossible things. Like they take, you know, discipline and dedication. But if you want it, like you, you said, if you it. if you want to design your life that way, mm-hmm. you can design your life that way. And I know you've mentioned your book a few times. I'd love for you to tell us like, what is the book about? When does the book come out? <laughs> oh, thank you, Lily, for your work, because it's going to take an army for us to change the conversation of what is possible for us. And I, I really feel like you're contributing to that conversation of saying, I think there's a war against our worth. And I think there's a new kind of freedom that we are longing for. And what this book is about is really about that new kind of freedom, the interior freedom, the freedom to choose our highest and best self. And so I think that's what you're giving your clients and your audience permission to say, no, we have to do our part to fulfill the cup. So this book is actually is, I'm at the book here is redefine success for women. And it's a tagline is a proven blueprint to design a fulfilling life. And this all came from the fact that women are told to pursue success only to come to achieve the things that they want to achieve and feel so unfulfilled, burnout, stress, their marriage is falling apart, their relationship, whatever it is, their friendship, because somehow they've chased this dream but have forgotten parts of themselves. Uh, The same way that a woman actually says, I'm going to forego success. I'm not going to achieve that because I want a fulfilling life. They're not saying this out loud, but they're saying that's not for me. I'd rather have simple fulfilling life only to come to the same point of their life where they too are unfulfilled. They, you know, maybe they realize that this is, you know, I'm going to just stay home because this is what fulfillment is, but they're not fulfilled. And so the question is what fulfills the woman. And why are we not talking about the importance of fulfillment in a pursuit for success? Because success void of fulfillment doesn't feel successful. What looks successful doesn't always feel successful. So what this book is about is that I give women a blueprint to actually design a fulfilling life. So I talk about the crisis and say, most of us are unfulfilled and why? And then I talk to them about success can never be void of the life we want. Fulfillment comes from us actually filling our cup because we know what fills our cup. This is the kind of relationship I want, this kind of friendship that I want, this is my homework, it's my business. It has to be based on us digging deep into the desires of our heart. What do you really want? Now, I also teach women in this book in a very sort of flash version that what we want isn't always what we really, really want. What I mean by that is what I want is to eat rice because I like rice because I'm Asian. But what I really want is to be healthy. So we have to take accountability in developing the desires of our heart to be in harmony with our highest good. And that's the skill. We have to develop the accountability so that the desires of our heart. And mature it to be in harmony with our universal desire, which means what we really want. Those things that are written in our heart, peace of mind, you know, joy. Those are the things that we all deeply desire as women to have optimal health. Nobody says, well, I'm just going to be maybe so, so healthy, right? The only reason why I say that is because we don't think we can have it. And so what we want is to be able to hold ourselves accountable with a level of skill set and say, what I really want right now is to eat ice cream all day. But what I really, really want based on my universal desire is to have optimal health. So I have to align what I want and mature it through discipline so that what I want is in harmony with my highest good. And nobody can do that for us. We have to do that for ourselves. What I really want right now is to be with this guy, but this guy actually doesn't treat me well. What I really want is to be in a relationship that inspires me and honors my value. So what I have right now, I might need to break up with this guy because what I really want is a relationship that man honors my value. So that's something that we have to learn how to do. So the book, chapter two, actually talks about what you want and what you really want, which we call universal desire. We have to know how to do that. 
ourselves. And then I give them a fulfillment formula, which is basically how to design a fulfilling life. And it's based on the trifecta. I just told you, teaching them how to dream, the distinction between goal setting and dreaming and the importance of the purpose of our dream, you know, give them the formula and the importance of basically saying, you need to design your life intentionally. And I'm going to give you the blueprint for it. So chapter four, I teach them how to dream. Chapter five, I teach them how to design every part of their life. So basically they give them a guidepost in designing their friendship, the standards of friendship, what kind of, what it means to be valued in a relationship you know, their environment, I give them a blueprint, and then I teach them how to develop themselves on chapter six, and then I send them off on chapter seven. So the book is really about you get to choose for yourself what success looks for you that's based on your fulfillment. Success cannot just be this is how much money you make. This is, you know, you need to have this PhD because what's happening is that women are contributing to self-doubt, self-loathing, and making women feel as though they do not belong. And they are unworthy of all that's good. And so if we redefine success for ourselves, we give our chance self a chance for that fulfilling life that we want. And I think that's something that we have to do for ourselves. And it's taking responsibility for our fulfillment. And that's what this book is about is I give you the blueprint to live a fulfilling life. And you get to decide what that looks like. And you get to decide what that looks like in every season of your life because it's going to look different. You know, it's going to look different when you're single. It's going to look like different. Maybe when you get a new job and you are literally, there's a wheel and you say, this is who I want to become. This is my self-image. This is what my health is. I'm going to design it. This is my friendship. This is my mental health. This is what my physical health. This is what my contribution looks like. And for the rest of our life, we have to be stewards of our life. And I teach them to see with eyes of wholeness. The book is about, you've got to learn to see every part of your life as integrated. Right. And not just parts of you. It's not just about your body. It's not just how much money you make. It's that how much money you make impacts your friendship, impacts your relationship, impacts your self-image. We have got to see and train ourselves to see with eyes of wholeness. And that's sort of what kind of, it's sort of a jump start to a lot of our trainings that we do in the school. I am excited to read that. And <laughs> I really liked what you said about holding ourselves accountable because again, it's like, I feel like a lot of people talk about following your bliss. But sometimes, like you said, my bliss wants to just sit here and eat ice cream. You know, that feels good, right? But it's not, like you said, really, really, really what I want. And it is that being able and developing that skill of holding yourself accountable and taking personal responsibility for right where you are. And then the fulfillment piece, I would say it's that realizing that my idea of success and fulfillment may be different than yours or another woman's. And again, bringing it back to you being like, okay, what does this look like for me instead of trying to look at someone else outside of us and doing that comparison thing? So I'm really excited for that to come out. Do you have a timeframe when your book will release? Um, I believe it's going to be the first week of January. And so I'll, you know, share it with everyone. And I have a speaking engagement um, that we're hoping to kind of work together with the book with John Maxwell and Ed Milet so that we can kind of share this. And I'm really excited about it. Is that in Atlanta? It's in Atlanta. I'll I'll be there. I'm excited. Are you joking? (laughs) Yeah, no, I'll be there as an attendee. Oh, that's so exciting. I get to meet you and live. Oh, that's so great. Well, I'm so grateful. I, um, yeah, the woman's school will have our own booth and I think we'll probably be signing books. I don't know all the details in that, but but I'm excited because I feel like it's time for us to redefine success for women so that we we don't back women against the wall and that every woman has a shot at a successful life if success is rooted in fulfillment. And that's what this book about is success cannot be void of fulfillment if we are going to sustainable model for women. It has to be rooted in fulfillment. And that's why it cannot be based on what the culture thinks what success is. It has to be based on what our heart's deepest desires are. January, the last question I ask everyone, because the podcast is called Growth Over Easy, what does growth mean to you? 
Oh, I think one word is humility. To me, growth is having the humility to get back on the drawing board and say, what else can I learn? How can I learn? It's really having, being able to receive feedback, being able to get up and study every day because you haven't arrived yet. It's being able to sit here in a conversation and harvest and learn from you. It's being able to, to look at myself and say, I really need to change that about myself and getting to work. So to me, growth is having the humility, which actually comes from the root word humus, which is rich, dark soil in which things can grow from. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like a woman who's capable of growing, who has knows the skill of growing is unstoppable. And not because she's arrived, but because she has the humility to know she can keep going and growing. Thank you for sharing that. I know that the listeners are going to wonder, you've talked about woman's school, you've talked about your book. Where can people find you to get more of you? Yes, they can go to thewomanschool.com. You can follow The Woman's School on Instagram and Facebook, January Donovan. And also for those women who are interested in building a business, training women with mindset and skill set, we have the Wholeness Coaching School, which is also training women and men and women actually to a life of wholeness. It's basically helping them design every part of their life and building a business around training. So that's also you can call it the Wholeness Coaching School. Yeah, that's, I think we're also getting on TikTok. I think we're on TikTok. <laughs> These social media things that I feel like, I always say, you know, it's funny. I, I'm like, I came in as a teacher. I didn't come in as a marketer or a business, you know, and but you have to, you have to do what's necessary to spread the message of truth. So um, TikTok it is. <laughs> no, those are good words for me because I feel the same way. I'm like, I love to talk. I love to teach. I don't love learning about SEO and social media and all of this stuff, but it's a necessary skill set. Yes, yes. Or we find somebody who has that skill set to leverage it. So thank you so much for your time today. I look forward to reading your book and all of January's information and full bio will be in the show notes so you can connect with her. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of Growth Over Easy. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Also, make sure to link up with me at lilyrachels.com. I'm Lily Rachels across all social platforms. Please just share this podcast with anyone you think will benefit. Until next time, remember, easy is empty, growth is gold.